Good morning, church. Good to see everybody here. This is the way to start your new year. Get up, get to church. Great job. Good fun seeing everybody. I'm eager to open God's word with you. And that's the best way, right? To sing about the grace of God, to have the grace of God minister to us in communion, and then to read about it in scripture. If you're a guest, my name's Kelly. I serve as senior pastor. I'd love to meet you. Uh, I'll be down front here after the service. If you're so bold as to come on down front, love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, also, go ahead and invite anybody that needs prayer after the service. I'd love to, to pray for you as well. This morning's sermon is not a part of a series particularly, but rather a, a standalone sermon. It's a passage. Uh, this passage, I believe, will set us up for the new year. It's in 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4. Just a singular verse this morning, then I'll read some verses that come just after it as well. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Do you feel like a jar of clay this morning? Odd question, for sure, but an important part of our identity as humans. Paul doesn't say that we're jars of gold. He doesn't say that we're jars of silver or even bronze, but clay. This means that we are rather dull. Comparatively, so to speak, as well as fragile, we are breakable, like pieces of pottery, which, praise God, are being shaped. These jars of clay, they're being shaped, molded, fired in the furnace of hardship. They're also being painted, polished by our maker, who is the craftsman of our souls. As jars of clay, do you see God's all-surpassing power at work in your life? Many years ago, Sherry and I got away for a weekend to Door County. It was actually many years ago now. It was our 15th wedding anniversary. We're on to 31 years at this point. We hiked, we biked, we took a ferry over to Washington Island, ate a lot of great food. Of course, you can't go to Door County without doing some shopping as well, and we visited a pottery shop. What struck me about this pottery shop, besides the prices, was that nothing highlights the skill of an artisan quite like working with clay. It's just clay after all, it's dirt. But a skilled craftsman can take what is little more than dirt and produce a beautiful work of art. Many of the stores in Door County also sell products made of gold and silver, and the artisans working with those materials are skilled as well. Much of what you note, though, when you look at products made of gold and silver is the beauty of the materials themselves. Let's be honest. Gold and silver are beautiful in and of themselves, sparkly, shiny, they draw our attention. Clay, that's not the case. So any craftsman working with gold or silver has a leg up on those working with clay. After all, no one ever sees, says about a piece of pottery. Now that's a beautiful piece of dirt. 
But when we see gold or silver craftsmanship, we say, wow, the gold, or wow, the silver, and how it shines. When a piece of pottery catches our eye, it's because we're stunned by the skill of the craftsman, not the materials with which they were working. No one is struck by the beauty of clay until it's shaped, until it's glazed, fired under intense heat, painted, polished. Then we're wowed by it. In a similar fashion, we are lumps of clay, meant not to draw attention to ourselves, meant not to draw attention to ourselves, but to display the awesome power of God at work in us. So let me ask us again, as jars of clay, do you see God's all-surpassing power at work in your life? Now, some of us may feel this morning more like vessels of gold or silver. We may feel more like gold or silver than earthen vessels. I say that because some of us this morning may feel on top of the world. Many in this room are highly credentialed, highly competent in their field. Many in this room are very successful in both family and vocation. And that's terrific. That's a great place to be. There's nothing wrong with having the experience of those feelings as long as we have an accurate perspective of ourselves when compared to God. Put most simply, it's good to feel good about ourselves and our place in life unless it blurs our perspective of our reality in relationship to God. We may be highly accomplished. We may be highly credentialed this morning. We may be super successful and at ease, but we're still only jars of clay, which is to say that we're still at need. We're still in need of God's all-surpassing power to be at work in our lives. Interestingly, Paul says that it's actually because of our clay, our earthen makeup, that God can in fact show his all-surpassing power in our lives, which means to resist that identity, or to refuse it, that identity of just being earthen, fairly dull, fragile, even breakable, weak, to refuse that can, in fact, thwart the work of God in our lives. In other words, to put on airs, so to speak, to make ourselves out to be better than clay pots, or to even to pretend that we're some sort of special version of a clay pot could be just enough arrogance to prevent God's all-surpassing power from being at work in us. While visiting a pottery shop in Door County, I learned that there are two different ways to fire pottery. Firing is the process of hardening clay. Basically, you're cooking it. Put it in an oven, cook it. Pottery can be gas-fired or it can be wood-fired. Gas firing is the most common method because you set the dial to the temp you want, you walk away, you come back in 72 hours, and it's done. So picture in your mind's eye, if you've not seen a kiln, a very big, fancy, large oven. You set the dial, the gas heats it up, and it's done baking at the time you designate. 
Wood-fired kilns, though, are much more labor-intensive because they must be constantly stoked. If you have a fireplace that doesn't have gas logs and you're putting wood in the fireplace, you know the wood burns away after a while, you have to put more wood in it. Well, to wood-fire pottery means tending to the fire on average every 10 minutes for 72 hours. That's labor-intensive. And so you're constantly stoking it, constantly adding wood to it. However, according to one shop I visited that used the wood-fired method and claimed it was much more superior, saying it creates a more beautiful finished product, and looking at their prices, I would certainly hope the claim is true. But the point is, it doesn't really matter how you fire clay. It's still clay at the end. Firing clay with wood rather than gas doesn't turn it into gold or silver. It's still just clay, regardless of the fuel you use in your oven. Wood-fired pottery can put on airs, and they did (laughs) in that shop. They can pretend to be special. They can raise the price of the wood-fired pottery, but it's still just cooked dirt. And spiritually speaking, it's easy for us to slip into a mindset like that of wood-fired pottery and begin to think that we're somehow more than just a jar of clay. It's easy to slip into a posture of arrogance when relating to God, as well as to one another, which will prevent God's power from working in our lives. Remember, God gives grace to the humble. He lavishes his grace upon the humble. And he resists the proud, actively resists pride in our lives. So there is a direct correlation between our humility and our experiencing the all-surpassing power of God. A direct correlation. More humility, more power. Less humility, less power. So if you're feeling good about yourself this morning, that's good. But don't forget, we're just lumps of clay, which, is to, which isn't to say that we're worthless. Let me work hard at this point. Paul is not saying that the treasure we possess in Christ, <clears throat> let me work at this hard again. Paul is not saying we're worthless. That's not his point in calling us a jar of clay. Paul's point is that the treasure we possess in Christ is infinitely more valuable than anything we could ever hope to offer God ourselves. The truth of the matter is that we are of immense value. God himself died on a cross to purchase our redemption. We are of immense value to God as jars of clay. Our righteousness, that is our conduct, is like dirt, though, when compared to the conduct of our Savior, His holy, perfect, righteous character. Using Paul's metaphor of clay, you could say that our righteousness is earthen, it's dull, it's fragile, it's breakable. One day we're doing really well, one day not so well. 
But the good news of the gospel is that God entrusts us with a great treasure through faith in Jesus Christ. God entrusts us with his righteousness in order to show off his all-surpassing power. Now, in a room this size, I'm sure that there are also some of us this morning who feel very much like jars of clay, humbled by our imperfections, keenly aware of our character flaws, our fragile nature, broken by our sinfulness and the sinfulness of others and how it's impacted our lives. If you're feeling this way, Pride is probably not your temptation, but rather hopelessness. For those of us haunted by our earthen qualities, you may be wondering whether there is really anything to feel good about in 2023. And the answer is yes. A resounding yes. As jars of clay, we're to celebrate, we're to feel good about the treasure that we have in Christ. I loved Janet's communion reflection and, and thought about a journal with pages ripped out of it when failing to live up to future expect, expectations of the future. I've done that. Frustrated as I read back about the hopes I had and who I was going to be, ripping out a, a page. Why do we feel good about ourselves? What makes us feel value, worth? As jars of clay, we can feel good about the treasure we possess in Christ. Popular culture talks a lot about self-esteem. That's what is most urgent, I'm sorry, popular culture talks a lot about self-esteem, but what is most urgently needed is Christ-esteem. From whom or from what do we draw our sense of value and worth? By esteem, I mean just that. What makes me feel good about me? For whom or what do we draw that sense of esteem? Christ's esteem is the knowledge that God has showered us with his love in and through Jesus. Christ's esteem is the, the reality that he's entrusted us with, he's imparted to us the righteousness of Jesus. God loves us perfectly. He loves us totally. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more or less. Perfectly he loves us. Completely he loves us. And that love has been demonstrated in the miraculous birth of Jesus, which we just celebrated, but also in the sinless life of Jesus the sacrificial death of Jesus, the victorious resurrection of Jesus, and the condescension of the Spirit of Jesus. First at Pentecost, but then in the life of everybody who trusts in Christ. The Spirit is imparted. The Spirit's given. We read that out of Ephesians this morning. We have a seal, a guarantee of God's redemptive work in our lives. The Spirit given to us. So that for those trusting in Jesus for salvation, we can feel good about ourselves every day. 
regardless of our righteousness, what we've demonstrated, because of what God has done for us in Christ. Look at what Paul wrote about the implication of God's care for us in Christ. This is from Romans 1. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, God has done for us in Christ, because of that, there's, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Jesus. None. Zero. Because through Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free because of what Christ has done. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, by my inability, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. God's done for us what we can't do for ourselves. Demonstrate our value. Demonstrate our worth. Demonstrate our righteousness. We're unable to do that, which isn't to say we get everything wrong. It's just to say that we're we pale in comparison to the standard who is God. The truth is that we can only develop a healthy sense of self-esteem. And we should have a healthy sense of self-esteem. But we can only develop a healthy sense of self-esteem, a sense of value and of worth, as we see and understand and accept God's immeasurable love for us, demonstrated through Christ. In short, I only love myself best as I know God's love for me in Christ. Does that resonate? Apart from the knowledge of God's love for us in Christ, the search for self-esteem is just a building of a house of cards. As we try to pump ourselves up with positive self-talk. Apart from the knowledge of God's love for us in Christ, establishing a sense of self-esteem is just a house of cards as we try to pump ourselves up with positive self-talk. Without the knowledge of God's love for us in Christ, self-esteem lacks the depth. Without the knowledge of God's love for us in Christ, self-esteem lacks the depth needed to endure storms. And it lacks the breath needed to live a life of service to others. Without the knowledge of God's love for me in Christ, I lack depth needed to endure storms and the breath needed to live selflessly. I run shallow and self-centered apart from the knowledge of God's love for me in Christ. I do what's good for me only. I'll give you an example. You may remember that the Apostle Paul had what he described as a thorn in the flesh, which he prayed for God to remove three times and God refused. We don't know what that thorn was exactly, but it was most likely some sort of physical problem that plagued him. It, and bear in mind, it plagued a man if it was a physical problem, a thorn in the flesh that he got him down and, and he couldn't get healing for it, then remember, it plagued a man who, when they would take handkerchiefs from him and touch other people with them, those people would be healed. So the same guy that couldn't get a healing, he was plagued by this constantly, had been used by God to heal others many, many times. 
some sort of physical problem. God insisted that Paul live as a clay pot. God insisted that Paul live as a clay pot with this flaw, with this weakness, with this imperfection, rather than healing Paul. As Paul had been used by God to heal so many, but God wanted him to live with this element of brokenness. So how did Paul possess the depth needed to endure difficulty and the breath needed, the character needed in breath to live a life of sacrifice in service to others? On what did he prop up his self-esteem? Was it in, in doggone it, I'm good enough and people like me, self-talk? I forget the sitcom, but old people like me will remember it. It was by God's grace. That's how he cultivated depth to endure hardship and breadth, to live a life of selflessness, even though he was plagued in the flesh with a clear flaw that he'd seen time and time again God healing other people. Here's his explanation of the experience. Same book, 2 Corinthians, this, several chapters later, chapter 12. There, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, this thorn, this ongoing difficulty. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, we want all surpassing power in our lives. My power is made perfect in your perfection, no. In your discipline, no. In your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Interesting how he chooses his weaknesses, or how he chooses to approach his weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm going to boast of my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I don't see much of that in the American popular culture. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong because of who Christ is. Paul endured his weakness, his thorn in the flesh, not through building up his self-esteem. And there's nothing wrong with having self-esteem. But Paul endured his weakness, his thorn in the flesh, through the sufficient grace that God gave him through the real experience of God's power enabling him to endure and persevere. I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Because of Christ, we, as jars of clay, don't have to pretend. We are, we don't have to pretend we are perfect. We don't have to ignore deny, or even defend our weaknesses to feel good about ourselves. Let me say this again. Because of who Christ is, we as jars of clay don't have to pretend we're perfect. We don't have to ignore our imperfections, deny them, defend them. We don't have to defend our imperfections in order to feel good about ourselves. We can feel good about ourselves every day. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ. We can feel good about ourselves every day. On January 2nd, when we break what we wanted to do on January 1st, the resolutions we made. Thank God for Christ. Because of Christ, we can live at peace with our weaknesses. Do you remember why Paul was given a thorn in the flesh? He called it 
a messenger of Satan. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to go back and read it later today. He called it a messenger of Satan, this thing that plagued him. It was given to him. He was told by God it was given to him for the express purpose of keeping him from being conceited. That's right. The apostle Paul had a pride problem. He struggled with pride, prone to arrogance. And he explains in 2 Corinthians 12 that he had received from God such amazing revelations. He was an astounding teacher. And he received from God such amazing revelations that he was prone to thinking of himself more highly than he ought. Well, I'm a special jar of clay. Yeah, I'm a jar of clay, but I'm I'm wood-fired. And he was given this thorn in order to enable him to remain humble. And we know the value of humility in our lives. It's on the humble that God gives grace. It's on the humble that he pours out his power. God actively resists the proud. And so rather than denying the thorn, he decided to delight in his weaknesses because Christ was seen more clearly then. I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Do you struggle with anger? Don't deny it. In an attempt to prop up your self-esteem, admit it so that Christ's power may rest on you. Do you struggle with alcohol? Do you abuse alcohol? Don't deny it in an effort to prop up your sense of worth. Admit it so that Christ's power may rest on you. Insert your favorite sin here. Lust, greed, envy, gossip. Let's not deny those realities in our lives in an effort to feel better about ourselves. Let's admit our weaknesses. Let's admit them so that Christ's power may rest on us. I think it's, uh, somebody will know it. Uh, With every temptation, God gives a way of escape. It's in Corinthians. um, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And with each temptation, God is faithful to provide a way of escape. What's the reference? Second Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Hey, we're going to crowdsource this sermon. (laughs) I've long said that if it is the case, and I firmly believe it is, that there's a way of escape from every temptation, then finding that way of escape is directly tied to my humility. Can't tell you how many times I've stood at the threshold of sin, like Cain, and known clearly that sin wants to to master me, but I must overcome it, and weighed in the balance how much humility is going to be needed to escape this sin, and said, "I'm I'm not willing to take that road. There is power available to the 21st century American church, the suburban church in particular, that we're not accessing. 
Because the power means stepping through a, a door of humility. It means talking about our weaknesses. What if, in fact, we were to shift from making New Year's resolutions that are about achieving a goal and instead make resolutions focused on admission of weakness? I put to you, based on God's word, that your 2023 would be like any other year you've ever lived. What if our goals in 2023 were categorically different? Not aimed at accomplishing anything, but simply aimed at admitting. The biblical word is confession. Admitting who we are. Both with regard to sin and struggle and temptation and who we are in Christ. What if our goal in 2023 was to more thoroughly, regularly, and radically, deeply confess our earthen qualities? So that the power of God might be seen and experienced so that it may be experienced in my life. If our desire is to experience the all-surpassing power of God, we're going to have to come to terms with our weaknesses. In fact, I should point out that the first step of faith, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus and you're checking out the claims of Christ, man, we're pumped you're here. This is a safe place to ask your questions. But make no mistake, the first step in a journey, in the journey of following after Jesus and trusting in Jesus is the admission of sin. Uh, frankly, though, and sadly, after that initial admission, many of us never do it again. <laughs> we never ever talk about sin again. If you've never admitted your sinfulness to, in, in, an in a desire to trust in Christ. Do so this morning. Begin 2023 differently. Stop propping up your sense of self-esteem by, by talking about your strengths and, and your value and worth and, and talk about your weakness, your sinfulness, so that God's grace may be poured out on you. I, there's a prayer I wrote. It's on the screen. Now, I write these prayers out not because they're magical, but because there's value in confession. And just to give us a framework of of how we can talk about our need for Jesus and be saved. If we believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead and confess it with our mouth, Paul says we're saved. You could pray this if you've never asked Christ, God, for the forgiveness of sin. You could pray something like this. It doesn't even have to be verbatim. You just say, save me, a sinner, God. And the work of salvation is unfolding in your life already. Even to have the desire to be saved means God's at work in your life. God, rather than denying my sinfulness and buttressing my self-esteem with platitudes about my value and worth, I want to begin 2023 by admitting I'm a jar of clay, sinful, broken, and in need of your forgiveness. Your forgiveness does not mean passively or permissively or callously continuing in sin. 
Paul is in no way encouraging us to continue in sin when he says he delights in his weaknesses. The truth is that having God's all-surpassing power at work in us will always and only produce the character of Christ in us. In fact, Paul accepted the thorn in the flesh as God's will for him because it was used by God to work humility in his character and undermine pride. Do you follow that? He accepted the thorn as a messenger of Satan allowed by God in his life because it produced humility, the character of Christ, Christ was humble, and undermined pride in his life. So there is in no sense that you're hearing that because of God's grace you can continue in sin. That's not at all what you're hearing. What you're hearing is that there's no longer to be carry around shame and carry around guilt. And soon as we put off shame and guilt, because people, we carry that around and it burdens us. When we put off shame and guilt, you'll find you have a lot of energy left to address sin. The reality is, is that living at peace with our weaknesses, the reality is that we are living at peace with our weaknesses not when we're passive or permissive towards sin, but rather when we're depending upon God to do what only God can do, for his spirit to come in and give me a distaste for my sin. Tired of exploding in anger, tired of abusing alcohol, tired of surfing the internet unproductively with ugly images. It's the spirit who makes us tired of sin. It's our flesh that goes after it. And as we admit the weaknesses of our flesh, then the Spirit comes in and gives us an appetite for righteousness. As jars of clay, we must depend upon God's power. So if you're an underliner and you have your copy of God's Word open there, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, and I have highlighted, not from us. So much in my life could be explained by my power, by my human ability, my hard work. But Paul says that God wants to show his all-surpassing power is from him, that this all-surpassing power is from him and not from us. How might we experience more of God's power, less of our own? by placing ourselves in situations that require God's power. By humbling ourselves and saying that we're unable to manage this sin, to accomplish this goal, whatever it is, beginning with admission. As jars of clay, we're prone to avoiding situations that might reveal our earthen qualities. But in avoiding those situations, we will not experience God's power. I'm convinced that many people do not sing loudly in worship because they're afraid of what others may think about how they sound. Yet we're just jars of clay. And I'll never sound like the people that are on the platform week in and week out. And I'm convinced that many people will not pray aloud for the same reason. Afraid of revealing how dull 
we are. I think a lot of spouses don't pray together for this reason, how earthen we are. That's pride, getting in the way of prayer. We're just jars of clay. I'm convinced that many of us don't share our faith with coworkers and friends because we're afraid they'll think we're stupid or they'll see how stupid I am. <laughs> I said to someone recently, I'm afraid what I'm about to say is going to make you think I'm stupid. Then I go ahead and say it. Yet I'm just a jar of clay. The truth is, I can't cause anybody to convert. Yet it's strange that the thought that I'm responsible for it and I have to outwit somebody is actually getting in the way of me seeing anybody converted. I'm certain that many do not confess their sins to one another for this reason. And we carry around the burden of unconfessed sin because we're afraid that someone will see we're just jars of clay. And in the western county of DuPage, west of Chicago here, we have the unfortunate luxury of of being really good-looking jars of clay highly glazed, polished to perfection. And so we're hesitant. We're tempted to pretend. No clay here. Yet we are told in Scripture to sing loudly. We're told in Scripture to pray aloud with and for one another. We're told in Scripture to share our faith. We're told in Scripture, James 5, to confess your sins to each other. We're not taking the risks. I'll say it this way. If we're not taking those types of risks, then it's no wonder we're not experiencing the all-surpassing power of God, which is stored up in us because of who Christ is. The REACH campaign of the last six months to a year is a part of that desire to take a risk, to do something different as an 80-year-old church to mobilize and help revitalize another church community, Poplar Creek, that needs needs strengthening and encouragement. It was to do something different, to break out. You know what insanity is. Do the same thing and expect a different result. There are a lot of 80-year-old churches closing their doors. There are a lot of 30-year-old churches closing their doors. That's why Poplar Creek approached us. Make 2023, how about this? In 2023, let's make a resolution to take a risk. Not to do something great for God, but to admit just how earthen we are so that the all-surpassing power of God can be at work in us. So that this all-surpassing power can be from Him. The truth is that God is using really ordinary people to do extraordinary things as they celebrate who Christ is, 
live at peace with their weaknesses, depending on the Spirit's power. That was a really long sermon. I think I'm at the 45-minute mark. Let me pray for us. We'll be done for this morning. Father, I'm thankful that um, I sense you caring for me by your word. I pray you'd care for us in the year ahead. Father, I pray we'd stop the insanity and do something wholly different in 2023, admitting that we are jars of clay so that we can enjoy who Jesus is more and more. For your glory and our own good, I pray this. Amen.